Today we're going to talk about the unsustainable electric vehicle agenda and how, even if you never choose to own an electric vehicle, you're likely to suffer an increase in non-native EMF in your home. Coming up. EMF Remedy is dedicated to helping you understand which electromagnetic threats are present in your home. And whether in the context of your current home, one you're considering for purchase, or building a new home with comprehensive protection designed in, EMF Remedy can help you reduce your family's exposure to harmful, man-made electromagnetic radiation. So what is the EMF Remedy? Man-made EMF and living things do not go well together. From the time of the telegraph, this was obvious, and each step further, all the way to the build-out of the electric power grid, radio, television, radar, satellites, cell phones, and the so-called smart devices, we have been, knowingly or unknowingly, embracing convenience and amusement at the expense of health and wellness. Over the last 150 years, we have embraced an unprecedented style of living where we've not only drawn near to what is harmful, the non-native EMF, but shunned the natural electromagnetic environment provided since the beginning for our nourishment and support. There is an objective, repeatable, quantitative evaluation process which can be used to accurately measure the components of harmful man-made electromagnetic radiation in all its forms, electric fields, magnetic fields, radio frequency radiation, and dirty electricity. Once such a proper evaluation is complete, you can make decisions and implement countermeasures to reduce exposure to the non-native EMF. The EMF remedy, in a nutshell, is in minimizing exposure to non-native EMF in favor of greater exposure to the natural energies of the sun, the earth, and the sky. So let's get into today's topic about what are the surprising unintended consequences of pursuing this electric vehicle agenda. Some of these concerns you might have heard about, and I will go through those very quickly in a moment, but I'm all but certain the bulk of this podcast, the material we're going to be dealing with in the bulk of the podcast, you've probably not heard anything about in terms of risks dangers to people of following in this course. So let's get into it. Sure, electric vehicles seem smart and sleek. There's a certain appeal in being, quote, modern, being the first one on the block. You may even think you're doing the environment a favor, doing the green thing, I assure you, nothing could be further from the truth. But did you know that if your neighbor gets an electric vehicle, it might be a really 
bad thing for you? That his choice to own an electric vehicle can increase the pollution in your home? Well, you're in a treat. You're you're in for a treat today. As I say, I don't think anybody has been talking about the dramatic increase in electromagnetic pollution we will all suffer if this electromagnetic, excuse me, electric vehicle agenda goes any further. Let's put a stop to this madness. So very quickly, let me take you through what are some of the things you may have already heard about concerns, uh, most of them having to do with EMF, but I've thrown a couple of others in here and they'll be obvious when we go through this. And I won't belabor the point on any of these, but conscious dictates that I need to mention fire safety. I, I mean, have you guys heard about what happens in a motor vehicle accident uh, when an electric vehicle is involved and the possibility of fire or fire when the vehicle is being charged? The batteries, and we'll talk about those in some detail, uh, have some real downsides to them. So fire, fire is very hard to put out a fire of an electric involving an electric vehicle. And the reason is because of the explosive nature of lithium when it is exposed to water. So it's definitely a matter for the professionals. And since they are sometimes stored in people's garages, I just feel the need to mention fire safety. Y'all may know of my background. I had a career in um, emergency medical services, and I contributed in that role as a individual working on an ambulance, but also as a captain and as a deputy chief. And we worked very closely with the fire departments and emergency management in looking at all kinds of issues associated with hazmats. So there, there is, in my opinion, a significant issue with fire safety, um, also the environmental issue. You know, lithium doesn't grow on trees. It has to be mined. It can't be found easily everywhere. And we have a bad track record, both in the United States and globally, with regard to doing a lot of environmental damage as we seek to pull this element out of the ground and use it for the batteries in electric vehicles. I must mention child slave labor. And if you're not familiar with what goes on in mining for some of these minerals that support our high-tech ways of life, I won't go into the details here, but 
it's something that makes me hesitate even when buying a small battery for my camera, much less something that would power a car. The 5G infrastructure, we need to talk about that and the auto drive uh, risk of injury and death. So talking a little bit more about the battery technology, I mentioned my career in emergency medical response. I also have a career in high tech. I spent a number of years in the high tech industry and had more than a little exposure to battery-powered electronic devices. And I also have some other um, experience, deep experience with batteries, because as you may know, I and my family lived off-grid for 10 years. I designed and built and maintained the electric system. It was a solar powered system that allowed us to live in an area that did not have uh, grid-based electricity. And as I've mentioned at other times, if I knew now what I, uh, if I knew then what I know now, I wouldn't have gone that way. Solar energy is extremely um, toxic with regard to non-native EMF. But anyway, so I've, I do have the experience designing, building, maintaining uh, battery-oriented systems. I'm pretty familiar with the trade-offs. There are memory aspects to the different battery technologies. If you only char uh, discharge some of them a little bit and then recharge and do that over and over and over again, pretty soon the battery will develop a so-called memory and only have that much power to give. You know, how much of the battery can you discharge before you recharge it? What is the total energy capacity and especially what it is in regard to energy versus mass of the batteries? How long does it take to charge? Usually this is more a question of how quickly can you force a charge into a particular battery technology? What is the total discharge time? And there, it's not like how long, but how quickly can you discharge the power in certain applications? How many cycles can you have? You know, what is the lifetime of the battery use? Can you recharge it five times or 5,000 or somewhere in the middle? What is the physical size of a battery? Temperature considerations, health and safety issues. All of that having been said, the industry has moved to lithium batteries, which is an excellent choice for the number of charge cycles, the speed with which you can recharge the batteries, the uh, tendency not to have a memory, uh, how quickly you can discharge them, in other words, what is the maximum current output? And the weight per unit of power is really excellent. Lithium batteries are not heavy at all compared to, say, lead-acid batteries. They're a terrible choice for environmental impact. And I've mentioned 
mining concerns and the child labor concerns. Uh, I've mentioned briefly the fire and explosion hazard. I'm going to tell you a brief story. I have a um, college buddy who was involved. This is many years ago when lithium batteries were brand new. They were setting up a demo for the then leader in the computer industry and their uh, portable computers. And he told me about, you know, they got the demo all set up and they had the prototype batteries and they had the executives in from this leading company. And there was a lot of pressure to do well, but um, the batteries caught fire <laughs> during during the demo, so they didn't get the sale. And as I, as I mentioned, they're not easy to extinguish because, well, anybody who's had chemistry in high school, you've probably had that demonstration where they put a bit of lith lithium or a bit of sodium. All, all elements, by the way, in the first column of the periodic table, and that speaks to their reactivity but when they're immersed in water, they begin an exothermic reaction producing hydrogen gas. And the heat is so great that um, you can get an explosion. Uh, so applying water to lithium in an emergency may, may not get you the result that you had hoped for if you were hoping to quench the fire. Uh, for these reasons alone, I, I wouldn't consider... I, I'm careful charging a laptop. I put it in a place assuming it's going to blow up because sometimes they do. Uh, but, but I would never consider charging a large lithium battery array like in an electric vehicle in my garage. For this reason alone, nor would I spend time personally in an electric vehicle. I realize the odds are minimal in every you know trip that you take that you're going to be involved in a collision but you know i'm just a bit risk averse i tend to ask the question what is the risk and then what is the benefit so that, that's just me auto drive you know this is not necessarily an electric vehicle thing exclusively but this ability to have the vehicle drive to a destination that you have selected without your full attention and without your full involvement. You know, what I was just talking about, what's the benefit and, and what's the potential downside. To me, it seems like much to lose and little to gain in having the auto drive feature, but if it takes 5G along the whole route, either now or in the future, and I realize that there are some implementations that don't require that, but it's been put out there that 5G is going to support this auto drive capability. And I just want to say clearly that based on working with Electro, electrically sensitive clients and knowing autistic children and how they're tormented by 5G and my own electrical sensitivity 
My opinion is that 5G high band at any intensity level renders the land uninhabitable. And it won't be felt by the majority of the people till it's too late. But I think the people who have a sensitivity for whatever reason are going to be our best and safest guides as we plow forward with an untested new technology. So the tie-in with 5G, I'm saying, is, is problematic. Little to gain, much to lose. Self-driving is convenient, but at what cost? Collision avoidance, this too is not necessarily just an electric vehicle thing. However, the electric vehicles that have all the features do have the collision avoidance. And that is where somebody in front of you, for example, jams on their brakes, the car takes over sensing that event and applies braking even before you might apply the braking, which sounds wonderful. However, the cost is a cloud, a, a persistent cloud of RF radiation surrounding the vehicle that's equipped with this and projecting it forward. This provides a toxic exposure for those who are electrically sensitive and others who may wish to just take a precautionary approach to RF exposure. So this ends my general concerns with electric vehicles. Let's get into the meat of the episode here. The two issues I've not seen discussed anywhere else and they affect every person living within an area serviced by the electric grid, whether or not they own an electric vehicle, are the magnetic fields and the dirty electricity. So let's first take a look at the magnetic fields. And of course, we're talking about alternating current magnetic fields, not the kind of a magnetic field that occurs as part of nature with regard to the Schumann resonance or with regard to the uh, magnetic field of the Earth that lets us find north. So delving into this issue, I would like to bring your attention to Henry Lai's research summaries for extremely low frequency radiation. You'll find these in the Bioinitiative Report, which can be located at bioinitiative.org. And he wrote three research summaries. You must read these for yourself. But his three research studies are quite lengthy, quite detailed, and are organized in... Uh, different topics. The first is the genetic effects of exposure to ELF, ELF radiation. So we're talking about magnetic fields here. There were 307 studies that he has cited. 
in his report. The report itself is 369 pages. And what I'm going to share with you today is just the numbers for effect versus no effect, E or NE. So of those 307 studies, an effect was found, genetic effect in this case, in 84% of the studies, no effect in 50 or 16%. The next research summary was in neurological effects, 311 studies, 156-page report, effect found in 289 or 91% and no effect in 28 or 9%. Oxidative damage is the third category. I'm just going to note, this is my editorial comment, that oxidative damage, free radical damage, oxidative stress results in the body in a number of different things, but at a minimum, it results in inflammation. And if it's chronic, it's chronic inflammation. And I believe it's well known that chronic inflammation is the fountainhead for all types of chronic disease states. So in this, there were 296 total studies. He generated a 162-page report. It's worthy of your attention. There were effects in 270 or 90% of those no effect in 28 or 10%. So that's a great place to go if you want to get an idea of what, what some of the downsides might be for exposure to this particular type of non-native EMF. Now, the precautionary guidelines we use for home magnetic field evaluation are... Two-tenths of one milligauss. That's two-tenths of a thousandth of a gauss. No concern. I personally feel much more comfortable at one-tenth of that, or 0.02 milligauss. But that's not neither here nor there. Um, 0.2 to 1 is is slight concern, 1 to 5 milligauss is extreme concern. Now, ambient magnetic fields, aside from whatever is going on in our home, you know, whatever appliances we may be running, or if we might have a wiring error in our home, the ambient magnetic fields surrounding our home are caused by current running through the earth, and it is because of the, in my opinion, poor design of North American power grid. We allow electric utilities to return power to the point of generation through the earth. Saves them a little bit of money on the copper wire. But exposes all living things in the area of the grid or between the grid and the power generating facilities, it exposes all of them to these extremely low frequency EMFs. Current 
traveling on electric power distribution and transmission lines have much more visibility. And people sometimes don't consider what's flowing through the ground because of our, in my opinion, poor design of the North American grid. But I think everybody knows that power lines themselves are not without danger. And you certainly have magnetic fields of varying intensity in different times of the year, different times of the day. And depending on how close your residence is to these power distribution or transmission lines, you're going to have a greater or lesser electric, excuse me, magnetic field exposure. Now, Charging an electric vehicle at home will require installation of, let me just say, <laughs> let me just say an electrically significant charging station. I've heard up to 70 amps. In fact, I understand that in some locations, they're going to be requiring homes to install 70 amp circuits for charging electric vehicles let me let me let me give you a comparison so this morning i measured three small battery chargers i measured a smartphone charger a digital camera charger and what I would consider a big charger, one that would uh, recharge a MacBook Pro notebook computer, formerly called laptop computer, until people realized it's a really bad idea to hold those on your lap. But the, mm, the smartphone charger drew... 0.12 amps, that's 12 one-hundredths of one amp. The digital camera drew 9 one-hundredths of an amp. The MacBook Pro drew 65 one-hundredths of an amp. And I just mentioned that the charging station that's being required in new construction in some areas is a 70 amp circuit. Now, all of these chargers produced significant levels of dirty electricity. These little bitty 9 one hundredths of an amp to 65 one hundredths of one amp produce significant levels of dirty electricity. The largest of these three is a charger for the MacBook Pro. It measured 14 milligauss in close proximity to the charger. Now, granted, that was in close proximity, but I've already mentioned the precautionary guidelines that we use in home, and that would exceed the highest level, the uh, extreme level of exposure. Again, it's just close to you're generally not going to sleep with your head on top of one of these things. But I'm just giving you a, an example. So imagine what kind 
of magnetic field comes from a charger more than 100 times that of the MacBook Pro. Well, let's see. If it were linear, and it were 100 times, and it may be more, then that would be 1,400 milligauss, right? Anyway, huge magnetic field. Now, I'm a big believer in personal choice. You know, if somebody is comfortable with the health risks of having a huge magnetic field in their home, so be it. I think that that should be that individual's decision for themselves, uh, for their loved ones. But what if it's a multifamily dwelling? Exposing others who haven't haven't decided to take the risk for whatever perceived benefit. What about the return current flow from your home through your neighbor's home? So you've got the magnetic field in close proximity to the charger, but you're increasing the current flow through the earth. So if your neighbor's in the way of that make that current making its way back to the point of distribution or the point of generation, what about them? What about the aggregation of what's estimated in the future to be 50% of residents using electric vehicle charger stations all around you at the same time? You know, when, when people get home from work, and granted, some people work shifts, they don't work Monday through Friday, they may work weekends, granted. But the majority of people, they get home around the same time, and they're all going to be plugging in their electric vehicles. So what about the aggregate of that moving through the earth? I want to mention briefly a document that I took a look at today. It's on the Forbes website. It is a article written by, I don't think I'm going to do well in pronouncing this gentleman's name, and it is not by intention. I just haven't heard his name spoken. So let me see if I can. Yes. All right. Vaclav, V-A-C-L-A-V, Vinkalek, V-I-N-C-A-L-E-K. I apologize if that's not a good pronunciation. Wrote an article called Powering Our High-Tech Future. How can we prepare for increased energy needs? I don't have any thoughts at all with regard to Forbes magazine, whether this is a good article, not a good article. I'm going to run through his calculations here. And I've seen other calculations and, and other assessments, but let me tell you, just show you how the math works. So he takes his readers through the fact that when he wrote this article in 2021, 
There were over 275 million registered vehicles, 7 million plug-in and hybrid electric vehicles were sold in the last two decades. And he mentions that if, if he makes the assumption that all of those, and it's probably a generous assumption, but if all of those are still in service, that would be 2.5% of all registered vehicles. The prediction is that by 2040, electric vehicles will account for more than half of all the passenger vehicles sold. So he picked a particular type of electric vehicle. He used a 2020 Tesla Model 3 Standard Range Plus, and that requires 24 kilowatt hours per 100 miles. And he used that as a, a stand-in for electric vehicles generally. And if you drive 13,500 miles per year, as is the U.S. average, that's going to be 3,240 kilowatt hours of electricity. So he concludes, um, if you want to power 275 million, you know, half of the electric vehicles in the U.S., we're talking about almost 9 billion kilowatt hours per year, which is about 25% of the total electricity that was um, provided in the United States. So obviously the implication, and I've seen, I've seen some estimates saying we're going to have to double our electric power generation. So whether it's a, a 25% increase, whether it's a 100% increase, I don't know. It doesn't really matter. The point is that there's going to be a dramatic increase in the current returning to the point of generation or distribution through the earth or through the power lines. And that is going to expose people to this type of, of EMF. People who may not have accepted the implied risk benefit, whatever the perceived benefit might be with regard to their personal health. What about their children's health? What about their unborn children's health? What about increased magnetic fields surrounding all the electric transmission lines and distribution lines all the way back to the point of power generation? Seems to me they're going to have to put additional transmission and distribution lines in place, but in the off chance that they could just accommodate that increase in current you're going to be looking at much greater magnetic fields surrounding all of those lines all the way along their path. And some homes are going to be too close. What about the new power lines and power substations with all their electric and magnetic fields all the way back to the point of generation? The bottom line 
on extremely low frequency EMF magnetic fields is this. Choices regarding increase in magnetic exposure made by some will affect all those living in a grid-served area. I just haven't heard anybody talking about this. Now let's take a look at the dirty electricity impacts. So dirty electricity, as we've discussed previously, also called conducted electromagnetic interference, is everything on a power line not associated with the delivery of 60 and 50 hertz power distribution. So for example, let's say 60 hertz and we'll say the first three harmonics, 120, 180, and 240 hertz. If you live in a part of the world where it's 50 hertz, you can do the math as uh, 100. The first harmonic would be 100, the second would be 150, and the third would be 200. Everything else, every modification of the sine wave is dirty electricity. The power industry acknowledges dirty electricity. They just don't call it that. They also don't call it conducted electromagnetic interference. That's more of an engineering term. But they do understand the word power quality. Power quality. Typical dirty electricity consists of periodic voltage transients and or harmonics not within that frequency range. That's the frequency range that powers our appliances. Now, the electric power in North America varies in quality with, with some pretty darn high dirty electricity levels provided to homeowners in many areas. So here are the things that you need to know about dirty electricity. The dirty electricity your neighbor generates will increase the dirty electricity in your home, even more so for neighbors which are on the same transformer that you're on. So if you have two or three other neighbors, maybe even more in certain applications, that are on the same transformer and one of them doesn't have good discipline with regard to his dirty electricity generation. It's really going to, it's going to, it's going to affect you. Some <clears throat> appliances are worse than others. And if you haven't already guessed, one of the worst offenders for dirty electricity generation is chargers. So battery chargers are among the very worst offenders with dirty electricity. And it gets worse. The level of dirty electricity is related also to the current rating. In other words, the higher the current required by an appliance, in this case a charger, the more dirty electricity will be produced. 
I don't think I could name another appliance that uses that much current. I really don't. I think, a, if I'm not mistaken, a hot water heater, my hot water heater anyway, uses 30 amps. And we're talking about some areas requiring a 70 amp charger circuit. It's uh, really a, an amazing amount of power. And that's all going to have an effect on the dirty electricity in that home and their nearby neighbors. Now, for those people who are thinking that's fine, we'll put a dirty electricity filter on our house if it gets to that point. You know, dirty electricity filters can be wonderful. It depends on what exactly is going on in your home. And it depends on where you install the dirty electricity filter and the technology in that dirty electricity filter and the lines, the electrical wires on which that dirty electricity is flowing. Is it flowing on what's commonly called the hot line or is it flowing on the neutral? Is it flowing on the, the ground? So the filters can be a wonderful thing. They need to be sized and specified appropriately, and they can make a big big improvement, but they're not perfect. They're kind of like shielding with RF radiation. There is no perfect shielding, and there's no perfect dirty electricity filter, so They can do a great job if properly chosen and installed, but they can only do so much. They won't save you from a neighbor on your same transformer with a 70-amp charger. For those who are electrically sensitive and those who want to take a precautionary approach to the exposure to man-made radiation for themselves or for their loved ones, a single electric vehicle charging station in the neighborhood may render your home uninhabitable. I can't say that categorically. I can say it may. It depends on a lot of things. Power quality to begin with, whether you're on the same transformer, whether you're downstream, so to speak, electrically from them or upstream. An electric vehicle charging station from someone on the same transformer could be devastating. Two neighbors on the same transformer as you, I don't even want to think about it. So, magnetic field exposure increase, dirty electricity field exposure increase. I've heard nobody talking about these issues. They're going to be significant. This is not a green, beautiful solution with no problems. It really is should be categorized in the area of environmental toxins, and the impact will be great. I believe 
further adoption of electric vehicles will have a significant cost in human suffering and death associated with increased magnetic fields and increased dirty electricity in residential areas that are served by the electric grid. So consider those things. And if you have found value in the Reversing Electromagnetic Poisoning podcast, would you consider becoming a supporter? There'll be a link in the description. I thank you for your time and attention. I'm looking forward to next week, and God willing, we'll see you then.